Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott, where we explore the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and gain rare historical insights into how a young farm boy was able to establish a new church and grow it by way of visions, manifestations, and miracles. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Richard Leduc. Yes, Garrett, in last week's podcast, we talked about the white horse prophecy and the Constitution hanging by a thread. We weren't able to quite get to the second question that we that we started talking about there, which was this revelation received or vision received by uh, John Taylor that is kind of making its way on the internet right now. It spoke about uh, disease and sickness, and so we can see how that has some, you know, something relating to today. And so tell us a little bit about where that comes from. Yeah. Um, so in this other, uh, this, this other question was about, you know, that, that John Taylor had this vision. And again, on, you know, certain websites and blogs that, um, have a viewership or a readership that is very concerned about, oh, the nation falling apart. I mean, look, we are not the first generation to believe that the United States is at each other's throats and we're as divided now as we've ever been in the country. I, I hear people say that actually all the time. The country has never been this divided. Do you remember the Civil War? Because it's like a big thing. Like people are being killed in it. I know that there's a hyperbole, and I'm not saying that I feel great about how much venom there is towards our fellow, uh, you know, uh, mankind in the United States. I, obviously, it's troubling. It makes us feel uncomfortable. But when you say the country has never been more divided, you are making a patently false statement. It has been more divided. There were 400,000 Americans that were killed when it was more divided. Now, you might say, well, 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 we're coming to that. Okay, again, now you've turned into the prophet uh, where you've decided you know that we're headed towards a civil war or something like that. I don't know that. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what do I know? At this very moment in time, this is not the most divided the country's ever been. And anyone who's saying that apparently hasn't read anything from the 1850s and 1860s. If they had, they would say, oh, oh that this actually is more divided uh, where people are being killed for this uh, as opposed to just threatening and making all kinds of slanderous attacks, which is what politicians have done forever. At any rate, um, this, this uh, vision that the question was asked about um, is something that has made the rounds on the internet quite a bit lately, but also very oddly, very poorly sourced and very poorly transcribed. And what I mean by that is that, you know, this is this vision attributed to John Taylor is everywhere on the internet. It's, you know, a whole bunch of places and all of the places that have it, I'm just, I'm pulling up a a particular, uh, you know, high ranking, uh, um, uh, blog that someone has on there. All of them attribute it to, uh, Wilford as related by Wilford Woodruff, right? So this is from Wilford Woodruff's journal is what they're all saying. 
Well, immediately as you begin to look at something like this, one of the first things that a historian does, and that if you want to be more careful about sources that you accept that you should do is, I know this blog is claiming that this is what's in the actual journal of Wilford Woodruff. Is this actually in the journal of Wilford Woodruff? Has it been transcribed properly? This is especially important when it's coming to things like revelations, visions, sermons, because the words that are used change the meanings. Let me give you an example of this. I'm going to read from the version of this that is on this blog. Now, uh, again, it's saying that this is a vision of President John Taylor, um, 1877. Um, December 16th, 1877. I retired to bed about half past nine. That evening, I'd been reading a revelation contained in the Doctrine and Covenants, and my mind was calmer, if possible, than usual. So you have these first two sentences. Okay, I retired to bed about half past nine. That evening, I'd been reading a revelation contained in the Doctrine and Covenants, and my mind was calmer. I mean, one of the first questions I have is, well, what revelation are you reading? Because it sounds like that's what spurred your, that's what spurred your revelation. Well, let's read it from uh, Wilford Woodruff's actual journal. I went to bed at my usual hour, half past nine o'clock. I had been reading the revelations in the French language. So what he's saying is he's reading the Doctrine and Covenants in French. John Taylor had served as mission president in France. And so there is not a particular revelation that he'd been reading. And in fact, he'd been reading revelations, plural, in in French. Something that for whatever reason, this transcribed version, however poorly transcribed it was, doesn't have it at all. Let's go to the next sentence. I could not sleep. This is so this is from the the internet version. I could not sleep. I felt a dreamy feeling come over me and soon I became partially unconscious as to where I was. Let's read it from the actual journal. Um Let's see here. Um I composed myself for sleep but could not sleep. I felt a strange stupor come over me and apparently became partially unconscious. Still, I was not asleep, nor awake, with a strange, faraway, dreamy feeling. Notice that the entire last part of that isn't in this version that's online at all. Yet, the version online is saying, this is from Wilford Woodruff's journal. How do I know it's not from Wilford Woodruff's journal? That portion, well, because I'm reading Wilford Woodruff's actual journal as we're comparing this. You can see the images of Wilford Woodruff's journal. It's available on the church uh, history uh, library. The church history library, you can go type in the church history catalog and you can pull up all of Wilford Woodruff's uh, journals. It, 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 it speaks to the fact that already, whatever is going on here with this version that's being presented as this vision, there are literally dozens and dozens of words that have been changed, left out, or omitted um, uh, purposely in just the first paragraph of this. In 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 a 60-word set, 40 of them are different. So that's a problem. So it doesn't seem it doesn't seem to change too much what's what's happening. So why why is it a problem? Well it's a problem because as I said, people will put 
emphasis on things that they think is a revelation. When something's a revelation, well, then every word in it is exactly what God wants it to be. Well, what if those aren't the words that are actually in it? Um, again, we, we kind of talked about this with Wilford Woodruff. Oh, people would kill themselves to go to the telestial kingdom, except even the source for that never said the word telestial kingdom. So I'm interpreting something as the telestial kingdom, not because a prophet said it, even with as a poorly sourced version as that is from Wilford Woodruff. I'm, I'm claiming it because that's what I was told. That's, that's how it was interpreted. Someone wrote it down that way. And now I'm saying it that way and I'm perpetuating what was there. Um, let me, uh, go on to show another, uh, another type of difference. Okay. So again, from the online version, the, the poor transcript, we'll say version soon I became partially unconscious as to where I was. Okay. So that's where uh, it ended. Presently, I discovered that I was in the Ogden Tabernacle sitting on a back seat to avoid being called upon to speak, which I found endearing. So now I do hope that this actually is true. Um, after the second hymn was sung, I was called to the stand. I arose and said that I did not know that I had anything special to say further than to bear my testimony as to the truthfulness of the gospel. Okay, so that's from the online version. Let me read it to you from the actual Wilford Woodruff Journal. Instead of presently I discovered that I was in the Ogden Tabernacle, it says, the first I recognized was that I was in the tabernacle at Ogden, sitting on the back seat in the corner for fear they would call upon me to preach. Um, similar sentiment, but obviously very different words, which after singing the second time, they did by calling me to the stand. Um, again, still very similar information, but but phrased completely, completely differently. Um, I rose to, uh, let me read from the online version. I rose and said that I did not know I had anything special to say other than to bear my testimony as to the truthfulness of the gospel. What does the actual version say? I arose to speak and said, I did not know that I had anything special to say except to bear my testimony to the truth of the latter day work. So such a weird change, right? Instead of why are you changing the truth of the Latter-day work to the gospel in this? And who's making the change? Why are they making the change? They're clearly making a change to what was originally written. What's motivating the change? Uh, to the Latter-day work. When all at once, this now I'm reading from the actual journal. When all at once, it seemed as though I was lifted out of myself. And I said, yes, I have something to say. It is this. Some of my brethren present have been asking me what is coming to pass. What is the wind blowing up? I will answer you right here. What is coming to pass shortly? So that, that, uh, uh, phrase, what is the wind blowing up? Not in the online version at all. Yes. I have something to say, which is this. Some of the brethren asked me concerning coming events. Notice the change is one from what is the wind blowing up? to what's going to happen in the future. It becomes not a, hey, what's going on right now, to what is the apocalyptic future. It, it, the shifts in, in phraseology appear to be deliberate, to try to make it seem this is more of an end of times prophecy than it is this dreamlike vision that that is, again, purported to be John Taylor, but in in Wilford Woodruff's journal, this is how he enters it into his journal. First of all, the vision was supposedly received December 16th, 1877. 
It's entered into Wilfred Woodruff's journal in 1878, in June, right after the June 15th entry. Wilfred Woodruff has this little caveat where he writes a vision. But the June 15th entry is actually helpful to this. It says, I wrote 28 and spent most of the day in the office. I had a very strange vision copied in the office today of a desolating sickness which covered the whole land. So Wilfred Woodruff, he works in the historian's office in in, in 1870. So he's essentially the church historian. And they copy into the, the history records this vision. But you'll notice he actually doesn't even say this is John Taylor. Um, that is uh, what people have claimed. And of course, John Taylor does have visions and does have revelations. So it's entirely possible that it's him. But that's not what Wilford Woodruff writes. Um, so that also is another caveated problem. Um, at any rate, uh, this vision is going to go on to talk about um, some some very, you know, a horrific sickness, you know, uh, spreading all over the country, which you can see why someone living through COVID-19 and wanting to find a proof text to say, aha, this is the beginning of the second coming, why they would be directed towards this source. Let me read to you from the online version. This is going to be pretty lengthy. So try to pay attention or just you've already stopped paying attention. But um, this is what it says. And then I'll go back and I'll read the other. I then found myself wandering about the streets of Salt Lake City and noticed on the doors of every house, including my own, badges of mourning and said to myself, can it be possible that I am dead? Just then I heard a voice say, no, you will live through it all. No one seemed to be passing along the streets and everything was as still as death except the prayers of people could be heard in the houses. I saw no funerals and the scourge or whatever it was seemed to be under control. I then looked over the country in every direction as far as I could see a similar condition prevailed. And then I passed eastward above the earth and looking down saw many people coming west, mostly women who were carrying small bundles on their backs. And I thought it strange there were so few men among them. They were on their way to the mountains and I wondered how they could get there as the railroads were abandoned and the rails were in bad condition. And I continued on my way passing through Omaha, Council Bluffs and Iowa and saw many women moving about in an excited manner. Sickness and death prevailed on all sides. The inhabitants of Illinois and Missouri were in a dreadful condition. The men and women killing each other off uh, in the most brutal manner. Okay, so that's what's in the online version. Again, similar ideas are going to be in the Wilfred Woodruff Journal, but they're not going to be exactly the same. Here, uh, I'm going to now read uh, from the Wilfred Woodruff Journal, and I'm going to point out some of the major discrepancies. I was immediately in Salt Lake, Wandering about the streets in all parts of the city and on the doors of every house, I found a badge of mourning and I could not find a house, but what was in mourning. I passed by my own house and saw the same sign there and asked, is that me that is dead? Um, uh, Notice that that's very different than I said to myself, can it be possible that I am dead? Which is what the online version says. This, you know, wondering, am am I dead? Did I die? 
that's not how it's written here in the, the Woodruff journal. It's written, um, that, uh, this, this statement, you know, um, rather than, than a question, um, I passed by my own house and saw the same sign there and asked, is that me that is dead? Something gave me answer. No, you'll live through it all. Notice in the online heavily edited version, it instead says, I heard a voice say you will live through it all. There's a pretty big difference than having a feeling and hearing a voice. I think most people would, would, would concur. Um, that if you pray tonight and you receive inspiration that you feel something in your mind, that's a little bit different than if you hear a voice say, actually, you should do this. They're very different. They are not the same thing. Um, going on again with the Wolford Woodruff Journal. It seems strange to me that I saw no person on the street in my wandering about through the city. They seem to be in their houses. Notice there's a lot of, a lot of hesitant language here. They seem to be in their houses. They seem to not be present. The online version, nope, they were in their houses. They were. It's very definitive. It's no longer uh, hesitant. Uh, they seem to be in their houses with the sick and the dead. I saw no funeral possessions or anything of the kind, but the city looked very still and quiet, as though the people were praying and had control of the disease, whatever it was. I then looked in all directions over the territory, east, west, north, and south, and I found the same morning in every place throughout the land. The next I knew, I was just this side of Omaha. It seemed as though I was above the earth looking down as I passed on my way east, and I saw the roads full of people, principally women, with just what they could carry in bundles on their backs, traveling to the mountains on foot. As I wondered how they could get there, with nothing but small uh, pack upon their backs, it was remarkable to me that there were so few men among them. It did not seem as though the cars were running. The rails looked rusty and the road abandoned. And I have no conception how I traveled myself. Notice how different that is than the definitive of, I wondered how they could get there as the railroads were abandoned and the rails were in bad condition. It's a very different in what's being expressed. Um, and then finally, um, it, it as I looked down upon the people, I continued eastward through Omaha and Council Bluffs, which were full of disease and women everywhere. And the states of Missouri and Illinois were in turmoil and strife, men killing each other and women joining in the fight, family against family, cutting each other to pieces in the most horrid manner. That's far more information that's in the, than in the online version. Um, at any rate, he's going to go to visit various cities in this vision. Um, I don't know whether or not this vision was one that, uh, was received by John Taylor. I'm not entirely sure of the authorship of it because of that. It is copied into Wilford Woodruff's journal, but even Wilford Woodruff says it's a very strange vision that he copied into, uh, the, the historian's office. Does that mean it's not true? Well, no. But does that mean it's true? And most importantly, does that mean it's how I'm going to prepare for what's going on around me right now? You know, I can think of a modern day application of this. So in the fall of 2020, there was a great to-do about 
signs of the times of the second coming of the Savior. And there were several YouTube videos that um, actually had a lot of views and a lot of people looking at these different signs of the times. And the, the problem that I had with some of these things is that some of the things that they had were directly from Scripture, directly from modern-day prophets, but then a lot of the things that they had were, well, now, if you read down one verse after what Elder Eyring said, or if you look at this or this, it's the obscure stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, I remember uh, there was once something circulating saying, if you take the first letter of each of these verses in the Book of Mormon, it spells out Zion. Well, the problem is the Book of Mormon wasn't versified that way and with those kind of breaks until 1981. Uh, or it spells out Utah. I can't remember. I think it spelled out Utah. But but those verse, verse uh, separations with the footnotes, whatever, they, they weren't the same and, until much later. So sometimes people want to find the kind of secret hidden meaning they want to feel look it's a it's an in, innate desire among everyone to feel like you have some kind of special knowledge and and really people play into that because it's something that you really care about like the second coming and so when someone says hey i have some insight into the second coming our natural tendency is going to be to say well, I want that, and I want to. I want to hear it because I care about the second coming. Anyway, go ahead. Well, in one of the videos I, I I watched, I had a couple of parts to it, and one of them specifically, they talked about the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem as kind of this beginning time of these four hundred and ninety year time of preparing for Jesus's coming, right? And what they look at is that the time that Solomon announces the rebuilding of the wall in 1535. Well, why did they pick the year that he announced it? Why don't they pick the year that he started building it, which is two years later? Or why doesn't he pick the year that it finished four years later? It was when he announced it, because when he announced it, then that allows for everything else to line up, right? Or why didn't they pick the dozens of other times at the temple that the walls in Jerusalem had been both destroyed and then rebuilt and then destroyed and then rebuilt? Yeah, right. <laughs> like the thousand other times that like the first crusade when they destroy the walls around Jerusalem and take Jerusalem. That's the thing that that's the that's the problem that I have with some of these things is then you you go to obscure sources and then what you do is you go just back in time to figure it out. And I think I think for our our listeners, I think I've actually been able to put something together. Oh, well, that um actually I know I've been saying that well sourced. I am the source. Oh. Poorly sourced <laughs> that is the... That is correct. Well, so we know that in 2017 that there was a solar eclipse. We know that that solar eclipse crossed over seven cities named Salem. Okay, we you're know, starting to worry me. Well, there are 36 cities in the United States named Salem, but we're going to throw out 29 of them and cross over seven of them. Now, seven shows completeness or perfection. And seven years after that eclipse, we're going to get another eclipse in 2024, right? Now, there will be an X of those two eclipses in the United States 
over Carbondale, Illinois. Okay. Okay. Carbondale, Illinois. Not Carbondale, Utah, which would be. Boy, if it's Carbondale, Utah, that's going to throw my calculations. I think, I think we just need to consider the fact that there's another Carbondale. Okay. And I'm going to give this one. four listeners well, there because be there's a bonus, five people who There'll live be a there. bonus episode after I do the calculations based on okay, Carbondale, That's Utah. what we need. So the distance from Carbondale, Illinois to Carthage, where Joseph was murdered, is 278 miles. Seemingly insignificant. From Carbondale to Salt Lake City is 1,423 miles. Okay. Now, if you take 1,423 miles and you divide it by the 278 miles, you get 5.12. Now, what's the significance of 5.12? Obviously, the 1-2 is obvious. 12 apostles, oh. both anciently and today. I'm glad you said it was obvious because I only now figured that out. Well, this is why I'm here. For this and also anything relating to Japanese rice tariffs. Yes. It hasn't come up yet. I want it's, it to come up It's coming up. up. So we're going to do tariffs and a whole, we're going to do eight-parter on tariffs. Now, five. Okay, well, what does five mean? Well, the Godhead is three. That doesn't necessarily make sense. First presidency is three. How many people were able to see the gold plates uh, in the initial, in the, the three witnesses accounts? How many people were there? Joseph and the three witnesses. And Moroni. Five. Five point one two. So five plus the apostles. That's right. Which means... (laughs) Are you okay? Sorry, I get really emotional. Which means that obviously Jesus is coming back in May of 2024. Wow. Um, You heard it here. Actually, ninth, because there's lots of people that say similar things. So, <laughs> I think the point of the satire here is that you can take a lot of numbers and you can take a lot of places and try to extrapolate out of them what it is that people should be gaining from this knowledge. The problem is it's all based upon what the person is saying the interpretation of those things is. And... Uh, you know, we, we had a question uh, that came from someone about whether or not the the prophets who are in uh, that are that die in the streets of Jerusalem in, in in the last days in the book of Revelation, whether or not that would be Enoch and Elijah. Well, you're thinking, well, Enoch and Elijah, they lived quite a long time ago. How are they being guilty? Remember, Enoch's taken up to heaven without tasting death, right? The city's translated, and Elijah is also taken up to heaven. And so these two translated beings apparently would come back and be well, you know, the sourcing for that is, you know, that there is uh, an apocryphal book of scripture, um, the apocryphal book uh, that uh, of Elijah that 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 discusses this, um, the apocalypse of of Elijah is what it's called. The apocalypse, you know, the the this end of times has an uncertain authorship and um, uh, Tyler W was the one who who'd asked this question about it and wondering you know how does that juxtapose against you know uh, other uh, statements that apostles have made that it'll be one of the the quorum of the 12 that'll be the the, the two apostles that are uh, slain in the streets of Jerusalem well 
you know, when we talk about an apocryphal book, I, I probably should spend more time explaining what we mean by that. There are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of books that sound like scripture that are in circulation shortly after Jesus's time, or some of them from, from Jewish tradition in circulation during Jesus's time, that some people take as scripture and other people don't. Again, most Christians think the Bible fell out of the sky as an already completed book, but the reality is the Bible is slowly pieced together from very disparate books that have been in circulation themselves for centuries before they finally codify what is a canonical book, what is a book that is scripture to us, and what is just something that's good to read but isn't scripture, and what is something that is heretical, that is a forgery, that is made up. It's interesting that the the New Testament itself, Paul's own letters suggest that people are forging things in Paul's name while Paul is alive. That's why Paul is having to rein people in. If it's me or an angel of heaven that preaches something different to you, you know, know, let them be accursed. Um, But uh, the, the, these books that are all in circulation are often the, the, the place that people turn when they're trying to find different insights into what is going to happen in the end times, how, how the church is going to be established, what's going on. Because it hasn't been revealed through regular channels yet, they look to see if perhaps there's some kind of revelation that has come through these other books. And that tradition or that idea that it would be Enoch and and, and Elijah that would return is something that, that stems from one of these apocryphal books, an unknown author, unknown time, but adopted by some early Christians as being true, this apocalypse of Elijah. I, you know, how much water would you put into that? Well, frankly, none. That's not how uh, we receive revelation. Is it possible that the two prophets are Elijah and 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 Enoch? I, I guess. But when you're talking about religion, always whatever you say is possible, right? So, so is it possible that that Jesus can, you know, turns the entire Pacific Ocean into landmass so that people can gather together that way? sure. I mean, it's God. So yeah, God can do whatever God wants to do. That's not the same thing as saying, and this is how he's going to do it. And so in, in response to that question, um, I, I don't think we know, but I certainly don't think we have any more insight from what is likely a Christian forgery of uh, where someone's claiming that they have ancient access to these, you know, to what Elijah saw when in fact no scholar actually believes Elijah wrote that. So, it, it, you know, we see this actually a lot. Um, I remember the first time I confronted uh, apocryphal gospels on my mission. That makes it sound very, you know, antagonistic, but it kind of was. And that was someone who was quoting to us. We 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 saw it, we talked to him, and and he had been reading very heavily in the Gospel of Thomas, and began quoting to us aspects of the Gospel of Thomas, which seemed pretty far out. Which I also seemed, you know, which you know was, and many of these Gnostic Gospels. We talked about this once when we talked about Doctrine and Covenants section forty nine. Many of these early 
Christian heretical gospels that never made their way into the scriptures that are, were written much later, but they were given these false, uh, uh, you know, th- these false names. They, they, they were given, uh, you know, uh, titles of, oh, this is, you know, the, the acts of, of, of Paul and Thecla. Well, scholars don't believe that Paul and Thecla wrote that. They believe that the acts of Paul and Thecla were written century after Paul is dead. Well, the, the author of that forgery wants their point to get across. So what do they do? They make Paul the author. And so now people are going to listen. Recently, you see people doing this with the, the gospel of Mary. The gospel of Mary is something that is, um, I've heard multiple people quoting it. And, and interestingly, the people quoting it don't even seem to understand the context or history behind what they're even quoting. There is not a scholar anywhere on earth who believes that Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary Magdalene, which are the two Marys, which even scholars, scholars not only don't know who wrote it, they actually can't agree on who the person who forged the document was trying to imitate when they forged the document. Essentially, this is someone who is forging a letter but doesn't know whether they want it to be from George Washington or or George Whitfield. They they don't. Uh, it could be it's George. It's one of the two. It could go either way. At any rate, because the 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 Gospel of Mary uh, talks about, and and I think most scholars think that it's Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene being the most you know beloved of Jesus's disciples, which you can find all kinds of ideas behind that right she's the one that joseph's appearing uh, that she's the one that jesus is appearing to after after his resurrection um that that this um that you can see why people might try to find that connection but then it's very quickly taken out of context in an attempt to try to to prove text this non-canonical late Forgery, the, the earliest full version we have of this book is from the 5th century. So 400 years after this event, it's apparently, at least most scholars believe, a Gnostic forgery. No, So why does Gnostic? What is it? Well, most Gnostics not only believe that there are you know multiple different gods, but they also believe uh, that most of them, you know, Gnostic is a very large umbrella term, but many of them at least believe in a kind of docetic view of Jesus, that Jesus didn't actually have a body. They see the body as a prison. They see the body as something wrong. It's very heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. And so would God come to earth and be you know, put into this body that's evil. Well, no. So Docetus argued that Jesus never even had a body at all, that he was never actually born because he was, he, he was never physical because if he was physical, then he would be corrupt. And so he was all spirit. So what's, what's frustrating is that people will quote from the gospel of Mary thinking that they are expanding our knowledge of Jesus's relationship with say women in the scriptures. But what they don't realize is they're actually quoting a document that's written by people forging something in Mary's name in order to push their argument. And part of that argument 
is that Jesus wasn't even born. So, so we're going to take Mary from being the mother of God to not actually giving birth to Jesus at all, essentially being the, the caretaker because Jesus couldn't be born because Jesus didn't have a physical body. It's an example of where sometimes people will search for truths that, that, that speak to them in unorthodox places in order to try to prove a point that they already believe. So rather than seeking for truth in the sense that I'm going to go wherever truth takes me, instead what they are saying is, I want to believe X. Now show me things that say X so that I can believe them. Like your example and your uh, sarcastic, uh, uh, you know. Uh, well, it's sarcastic unless Jesus actually does come on the right. 12th then, of May, then 2024. Then we're going to go back and say, actually, that calculations t- are correct. And it is Carbondale, Illinois, and not Utah. Um, that, that what happens is that someone really believes something very strongly. And then that belief causes them to be blind to the other things that are revealed. I mean, I hear people all the time definitively talk about what families and marriage are going to be like in the next life. The church repeatedly says things like, we don't know how things are going to work out in the next life. But there sure are a lot of people who do know. And what do they mean by they know? Well, this is what I want to have happen. Okay, well, that's not how doctrine is is revealed. Uh, you know, Abraham didn't want to be told to sacrifice Isaac. Whether you want it or not actually has no bearing on on what the will and, and mind of God is. So I, I think we see this in in a lot of modern uh, a lot of modern attempts to try to answer questions that we want answered. You know, I I want to know more about the second coming of Jesus. This world is terrible, and I want him to come tomorrow. I want to know more about what Jesus taught about women. I want to know more about my heavenly mother. I want to know more about these topics. And and unfortunately, those topics haven't been fully revealed. A great example of this is many of the early apocryphal um, gospels. So many of these, these books that were written all of them forgeries, right, are are focused on this missing time period of Jesus' life. Jesus is born, wise men come, and the next thing you know, he's lost in the temple, right? You have you have this huge gap. What is Jesus like as a child? Well, some enterprising forgers in the early Christian centuries know that what do people want to, more than anything? They want to know more about Jesus. How come we don't know anything about Jesus's childhood? All we have is next thing you know, he's in the temple and, you know, know you not that I should be about my father's business. That's it. What about him as a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old? What, what is the son of God like? Well, forger steps in and writes this essentially infancy gospel is what it's called, um, in which Jesus is actually a very bad child who has all kinds of power, but doesn't have the ability to control it. At one point, um, he's striking uh, people. He strikes one of his his playmates dead uh, for breaking something he was working on. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like the Jesus that you want to believe in today. But what did it sound like? It sounded like the Jesus that people in the second and third centuries wanted to believe in. So 
you don't hear a whole lot of people quoting from the infancy gospel of, of Jesus uh, because it doesn't conform to what they want to think about Jesus today. Where do they quote from? Well, they quote from the apocryphal forged gospels that happen to talk about things that they do want to think about today. So that's always the problem. And look, everyone is subject to bias. Everyone has them. But recognizing what they are is really critical in finding truth. When when you find yourself desperately trying to find sources that support the political, social, you know, emotional belief that you have, that's when you need to pump the brakes because you're going to find something that supports what you believe. But will that something be a true source? Will it be a forged source? Will it be a source that has a terrible provenance? Will it be a source that we that, that historians don't even consider to be a source? Maybe. Because when the ends are more important than the means of getting to that end, then we, we open ourselves up to deception. We are not prophets. We don't have the ability to interpret prophecy. If this is a real vision from God, or if it's not, if it's transcribed correctly or if it's transcribed incorrectly, regardless of the answer to any of those questions, there is one source that you should be paying attention to, and that is the current prophet and leadership of the church. If God wants you to know something about the end times and whether or not we're almost there, you know, to borrow the phrase from, from Joseph Fielding Smith, you're not going to get it from some obscure thing that someone found on the internet. That's not how God prepares his people for the last days. God prepares his people by having them listen to what a prophet has to say. So I think what's most important is as people start to speculate and they start to, you know, give their money away and they start to, they start to, you know, plan for the end times. I'm not even going to send you to BYU this semester because I know Jesus is coming next week. It's most important to ask yourself the question, am I currently doing everything the prophet of God on earth has asked me to do? If the answer is no, then you really shouldn't even care what some purported vision from 150 years ago might have said because A, you don't know what it said and B, you certainly don't know what it actually means. You know who could know what it means? The seer that God has on earth. Is he talking about it? No. So if he's not talking about it, then while studying these things can be very interesting, and look, I love history. I love reading things like this. That's not how I should base my response. It reminds me of Brigham Young. I know I've told the story before, but it reminds me of Brigham Young giving a sermon uh, in which he's in Utah and he keeps having people say, when are we going back to Missouri? I want to go back to Missouri. We got, when, is, when is God going to reestablish uh, Missouri? And Brigham Young's response to them is, you aren't ready for Missouri. You aren't even, you, you aren't even following the, the word of wisdom, the way that it's been more emphasized. How many of you sisters drank tea before you came to this meeting? How many men were drinking alcohol last night? You, you, you keep saying you want to go to Missouri. You're not even doing the things that you've been asked to do right now. Look, I know there's a lot of really 
wonderful, righteous people who have the same question that every righteous believer has had, and that is, when is Jesus going to come again? There's nothing wrong with having that as an interest. There's nothing wrong. It shows that you absolutely believe that Jesus is the Lord. But when we attempt to mix the current events happening around us in our lives with obscure references to the end times as a way of determining whether or not it's happening and it's happening right now, we can actually be led and deceived by people who are trying to make an argument that is far more political and secular than it is trying to lead people back to the Lord Jesus. The reality is this. We don't know when Jesus is coming. If he comes tomorrow, am I ready? Well, they obviously, I'm not. Maybe someone listening is. But frankly, I could be hit by a bus walking out of the studio as I finish this podcast. And that's my second coming. I'm, I'm now going to Jesus whether I like it or not. Either he's coming here or we're going there. But I think we should focus far more on where we are at spiritually than whether or not we can discern the signs of the times. Because we have a prophet, seer, and revelator who is going to do that for us. You don't need to worry about getting a jump start on the trek to Missouri because the prophet is already going to say when it's time to go. You won't have to figure that out on your own. You won't have to figure out what the 10 horns in Daniel are to figure out when to go to build Zion. Your prophet will tell you when to go build Zion. So these are great questions. Sorry, I mean, it maybe went on a little long. Again, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a question because these questions show that someone really cares. But I do think that it's important that we don't allow the questions that we have to cause us to open ourselves up to be influenced by people who don't really have the answers, but certainly have a lot to say. The answers about the truth of God come from the established channels of the church. So thank you so much for joining us and hopefully we'll be able to answer some more in the future. Everyone take care. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.